You're listening to Smogland Radio, broadcasting from the Community Garden, Solidarity Mosque, and the Vice President's Mansion in Los Angeles. I'm your host, Nancy Mesa. Welcome to a new episode of Smogland Radio, a production of LA Public Press. Each episode, we're going to be going on a little journey across LA together. Remember that this is your news podcast about the city we all hate to love and love to hate. But first, Smogland Radio is made possible by our amazing donors and supporters. If you haven't done so yet, you can become a supporter at allypublicpress.org slash donate. Today on the show, we're talking Israel and Palestine. We're going to be talking to Palestinian American organizer Raida Hamida later in the episode. We had a vigil. We had our taco truck. We served tacos, but we also like had a healing circle and we heard everyone's grief about how this genocide is impacting them. But first, Jewish activists and allies have been organizing actions all over the country, speaking out against Israel's relentless bombing of Gaza after the Hamas attacks on October 7th. Their activism hasn't been without consequence. At a massive rally in New York City's Grand Central Station a few weeks ago, 400 were arrested, including rabbis. And in the larger Jewish community, it's still taboo to speak out against the Israeli government. Some people say that any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. And the reasons for that are complicated. In the past week and a half, I have felt deep despair. I have felt... I have felt and I have seen in my family and in my Jewish community people really, really taking sides. And these sides are, it's like the wrong sides. Israel or Palestine, Israel or Hamas, these are not the sides. The side is violence or liberation for all. This is Noah Kattler-Kupitz, the West Coast organizer with If Not Now, a national movement of Jewish Americans committed to, quote, ending U.S. support for Israel's apartheid system and the occupation of Gaza. Los Angeles Public Press contributor Steph Brown brings us this story of how Noah has navigated this taboo. Over the past month, ever since October 7th, Noah has been having a lot of hard conversations with her family and friends. Because Noah grew up fully immersed in the L.A. Jewish community. I was in Jewish school from kindergarten through 12th grade. I went to Jewish summer camp. I played in Jewish soccer leagues and basketball leagues. Noah's parents raised her in the conservative Jewish movement. In school, her day was split by studying ritual and tradition for one half and secular subjects for the other. 
Noah tells me that besides ritual, she was also taught to have a real allegiance to the state of Israel. I was taught that caring about Israel and protecting Israel was my duty as a Jewish person. Israel was a safe haven for me. So if anyone were to threaten the state of Israel, including just criticize an Israeli government policy, that was a threat to my safety. Growing up, this message of unquestioned support for Israel extended further than just lectures at synagogue or school. Noah also went on multiple trips to Israel, a few of them fully funded by her synagogue. On one of these trips, she was immersed into the Israeli military, Israel Defense Forces, or IDF. Noah told me her group spent a night on a base, wore IDF uniforms, and learned how to shoot a gun. As a 15-year-old, it was fun to be wearing a uniform and to be pretending to be an Israeli soldier. A couple years later in high school, Noah moved to Israel for four months. She went to a boarding school outside of Tel Aviv, where she says she was taught the history of the Jewish people. I developed a really fond connection to Israel, to my classmates, to Israeli culture, and I definitely left those four months feeling like connected to Israel. I, I journaled, if I wasn't so selfish, I would join the IDF. Noah found this journal entry she wrote in college, the first time she was in a community of people who weren't Jewish. She was making wonderful new friends who were also drawn to activism. I was trying to be an ally to the Black Lives Matter movement, to show up to protests on campus, and my new friends were calling me in and asking me to take a look at my politics around Israel and examine them. It was the first time Noah met people from Palestine. Before this, she had never learned about Palestinian history or thought about the conflict from the Palestinian perspective. She remembers her clinical approaches class in freshman year in particular. She was learning about privilege and power structures. And one day, her TA challenged her to bring Israelis and Palestinians into her thinking. And I freaked out. I had been taught to think that any questioning of my stance towards Israel was someone being anti-Semitic towards me. And so Noah did what she'd been taught to do whenever she needed guidance. She called her rabbi. He was like a big macher, like a big guy, the source of wisdom. Um, and he heard me out. <laughs> and um, then my rabbi told me to stop, to stop going down the path I was going down of questioning Israel. And I remember feeling like so confused and isolated after that. And it, it gave me a lot of clarity, like it, it something shattered. And it was almost like I didn't have anything to lose. And I was like, okay, I need to see what's actually going on. Noah continued to take classes and meet friends that challenged her and drew her to activism. Later in college, these friends brought her to her first, if not now, training. And it was the first time I was ever in a space where Jews were openly talking about Palestinians. And I just like remember feeling relief in my body and feeling like I, I don't need to be alone in this. Now, six years later, Noah has continued to organize with If Not Now. And that activism has ramped up 
ever since Hamas's attack on Israel on October 7th left about 1,200 Israelis dead and 200, including several Israeli Americans, taken hostage. Since then, Israel has bombed Gaza indiscriminately, and as of the time we're recording this, killed more than 11,500 Palestinians and displaced as many as 1.5 million people. Noah and other organizers have been incredibly vocal about their demand for a ceasefire, a release of the hostages, and an end to the occupation. But for Noah, and many Jewish activists right now, it hasn't been easy. Noah and others have seen how their advocacy puts them on the other side of an invisible line dividing many Jewish families. Noah told me that recently her grandma emailed her and the entire family and told them that her grandpa would be ashamed of Noah for her views. Her grandma wrote that when people ask her about Noah at synagogue, she says she does not support her and she's distancing herself from her. And it was so painful to just be like, my grandma cannot understand the work that I'm doing. My grandma cannot see how much I care deeply about Jewish people, about my people who were killed by Hamas, because I also care about Palestinian civilians. Noah's grandmother is not alone in this reaction. In fact, it mirrors a lot of messaging from major Jewish American institutions right now. After, um, if not now, and JVP held some pretty historic protests in Washington, D.C., the Anti-Defamation League, they basically accused those protesters of not representing the Jewish community and of uh, propagating anti-Zionism, which is anti-Semitic. That's Mari Cohen. She's the associate editor for Jewish Currents, and she covers American Jewish institutional politics in the United States. The Anti-Defamation League, or the ADL, is a U.S. organization whose stated mission is to fight all forms of anti-Semitism and bigotry. The ADL has been around for 100 years, receives millions of dollars in donations yearly, and is the leading American institution for anti-Semitism hate crime data. Mari told me it's not a surprise to her that the ADL is publicly calling these Jewish activists anti-Semitic. Since around May 2022, they've adopted an explicit policy of saying that left-wing pro-Palestine organizations are anti-Semitic and should be considered equally anti-Semitic to right-wing white supremacist organizations and saying explicitly that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. The ADL is careful to say that criticism of Israel's policies is not inherently anti-Semitic. The ADL's definition of anti-Zionism is, quote, the explicit or implicit rejection of the status of the Jewish people as a nation and the right to self-determination. And so the ADL and Prime Minister Netanyahu say anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic. So Israel has often really doubled down on this idea that Israel is equated with Jewishness writ large and that Jews around the world should see themselves in Israel. Israeli legislation from 2019 officially defined the country as a nation state and homeland for the Jewish people. In effect, the Israeli government and the ADL are collapsing the two separate identities of being Jewish and being Israeli into one. And, and that's also something that's politically convenient for Israel to do because if Israel becomes equated with all Jews, then any criticism of Israel can be equated with anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish sentiment. And so Noah's call for a ceasefire and critique of the Israeli military response to October 7th falls under this definition of anti-Semitism. 
And being a Jewish organizer accused of anti-Semitism feels especially charged right now, when actual anti-Semitic violence is on the rise. Professor Brian Levin from CSU's Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism reports that both anti-Semitic and Islamophobic hate crimes have increased to historic highs in L.A. since October 7th. Noah told me it's really painful being caught in the middle. Um, it's hard to just have like a lot of hate tossed back at us from strangers and from community members I grew up with and, you know, from my grandma. It's hard. In the context of increased hate crimes, calling someone anti-Semitic is a powerful accusation. So it's pretty effective at shutting down debate when it gets levied against organizers like Noah calling for a ceasefire. One of like the roots of Jewish tradition is the Talmud. It's like our rabbinic literature text. And the Talmud is composed of layers and layers of rabbis um, in conversation with each other, adding on to each other's comments. It's like a text that is centered on debate. So when I think about Jewish religion, it's like central to our religion to be in debate with each other, to be in conversation with each other. And it just like does not make sense to me. It does not feel Jewish to shut down conversation around Israel-Palestine. For many synagogues and Jewish communities across the country, critiquing Israel and its policies is a non-starter and it provokes real fear. People are scared right now. Mari Cohen even told me that for some, dissent around Israel is less tolerated than dissent around religious practice, even the belief in God. Not in our name! Not in our name! Not in our name! And yet, organizers like Noah are demanding that this fear is not used as a justification for more violence, and that it actually is their faith that brings them back to this work. I was taught the value of pikuach nefesh, the value of saving a life. This is like the highest Jewish value. And I know that Israeli lives are not the only lives that matter. Everyone deserves to be safe, and that this includes Palestinians and Israelis. We For Los Angeles Public Press, I'm Steph Brown. That was Steph Brown reporting on Jewish American activists speaking out against the Israeli government's treatment of Palestinians in the midst of opposition from their own community. Next up, I want to introduce you to Raida Hamida. She's a Palestinian-American activist fighting for her people's liberation. And she builds bridges with other communities to fight for a common cause. She has organized a sanctuary mosque offering protection to immigrants targeted by ICE. She also has a project called A Taco Truck at Every Mosque inviting people to come together in solidarity with Palestinians over delicious halal tacos. Our audience director, Mariah Castañeda, sat down with Raida to talk about what it's like 
organizing for Palestinian liberation at this point in time? The taco trucks at every mosque movement was established before like the nonprofit Latino Muslim Unity. And actually Latino Muslim Unity was just a hash it was a hashtag at the time when we were establishing this project that was a community building project to counter the narrative that Latinos and Muslims are constantly being demonized. Um, we wanted to be proud of ourselves. We wanted to bring light to our community in a time of darkness. We wanted to make sure that nobody felt like they had to feel like a second-class citizen, that they were guilty. Um, it wasn't a crime to be Muslim. It wasn't a crime to be Latino. And we wanted to create a space um, during Ramadan in June of 2017 to bring these communities together because they were going to these protests at the airport with no ban, no wall. They were going to the border to, you know, fight for justice for families that were being separated. But there wasn't a time where people were just like feeling connected to one another. Like you would go to these protests, but you didn't get to know one another. You were in the Latino community. You'd see the diversity of folks that would show up. You were in the Muslim community. You'd see the diversity of folks that would show up to the airport, but they're like, they don't even know me. So we wanted to create that space where people actually knew their neighbors, despite everything that was happening outside of that space. It was a reprieve. It was a moment to just like reset and really appreciate and value humanity and value your neighbors um, and value just community. I think then we now started to feel that we need everyone. And now we're creating that space again. Every day is an action day. There is one day where we have an opportunity to present a resolution at a city council to humanize Palestinians. Another day, it's a, it's a mass protest. We were able to bring 1,500 people in Anaheim together and shut down the streets. And people were longing for that last weekend uh, to creating a safe space where people shut down the streets um, together collectively as a powerful force against genocide for a ceasefire in Los Angeles. And those are the spaces that we're creating right now. They're very different. Um, we've also hosted spaces where it's collective healing, collective care. We had a vigil, we had our taco truck, we served tacos, but we also like had a healing circle and we heard everyone's grief about how this genocide is impacting them and no one should feel regulated during a genocide. No one should feel safe during a genocide. No one should feel okay um, and healthy and vibrant and thriving when you're watching babies being blown up and you're seeing their lifeless bodies on these videos. That, that does something to your heart and your soul and your mind. And it just doesn't feel right to just move on and have business as usual. So that's, that's basically what we've been doing is responding to that cry for 
support, creating that space for action, creating that space for safety, creating that space for interconnectedness, for peer support. We're trying to stay hopeful. We're trying to keep the faith in a time where we're just constantly reacting. We've had a great amount of attacks on even our movement right now um, because we've transitioned a lot of our messaging based on the urgency of the human rights issue with genocide. We're, we're now even like getting defunded by some nonprofit that was an interfaith national nonprofit that said like we are not even supposed to mention one side of this narrative which is the palestinian narrative that alienates their members even when we say free palestine it's considered anti-semitic um, people are losing their jobs people are losing their livelihood um, we've lost funding because we put free palestine in our messaging i'm palestinian it's very personal for me um, I have family in the West Bank. My parents have a home there. I have about 300 relatives that still live there. Um, my family has my sister, my nieces, my nephews, my grandmother living in their house currently. And it's been really tough just hearing the day-to-day, -day, even hearing the bombing in the background when I speak to them, and understanding, like, we're all feeling so terrified of what could potentially happen next and the only thing we can do is like support one another right now create spaces for us to feel heard and just make sure that we're taken care of and feeling safe now there's 10,000 plus people human beings that have been killed in Gaza and we're hearing this narrative, well, they have the right to defend themselves. Israel has a right to defend itself, but it is not defense when you're bombing schools. It is not defense when you're bombing hospitals with families that have already been bombed in other spaces. It's not self-defense when you're bombing refugee camps. And they're gaslighting us constantly, making the oppressed feel like the oppressor. Um, by saying that they're human shields. We've seen this in many communities. We've seen this with the indigenous community when they resisted, they were called terrorists. We've seen those the black community when they resisted against apartheid, they were called terrorists. And they want us to shut up and just take the hits, take the massacres and be polite and say, thank you. Occupation to Palestinians feels like every day you're holding your breath. And for 75 years, that's a lifetime, right? We are thinking of the assaults on Gaza, like the last 27, 28, 30 days, but that's not how it is. It's been 75 years of this.
75 years of explaining and over-explaining the rights of Palestinians and the right to exist and the right to human rights and the right to basic necessities like control over our electricity, control over our bodies, control over our roads, control over our water, control over our ability to receive social welfare or health care. I mean, 750,000 people were displaced in 1948 in the establishment of the State of Israel. Palestinians, those were Palestinian homes that left, fled their homes because there were massacres like this, exactly like this. They fled their homes with keys in their pockets and boiling pots still on the stovetop. And those homes have now been occupied by other people, by settlers, by by even immigrants that come from other countries. And so we're afraid that this is the new stage of history where we're going to see that displacement. They want to displace a million Gazans. So, I mean, there's just all of these unknowns and there's all of these fears and wait for what's, you know, what everybody has been doing is just gluing their faces to their phones. We watch CNN, we watch MSNBC, they're just gaslighting us. I mean, they give the platform all to the Israeli government to decide how the narrative is going to be spinned. And so like, we have to use Instagram and look at Khalid Beydoun's page and like, Ediara's page and Montez and Wizard for just the reality of the situation. And collectively, everyone has access to this. And that is why there's an uprising. We're just shocked that our government sees this worldwide effort to stand up in solidarity with Palestine, but our government is putting that to the side. It doesn't even feel healthy anymore. I'm definitely on autopilot. I feel like my body is operating on its own because my mind is just not even there. There's so much trauma and everyone's experiencing so much trauma right now that basic things are so hard to do. And I would say that like even to some extent, like we're experiencing depression, we're experiencing post-traumatic stress we're experiencing anxiety, a fear of the unknown. That was organizer Raida Hamida sharing her experience fighting for her people's liberation. Smogland Radio is produced by Phoenix So and Carla Green. I'm your host, Nancy Mesa. We're a production of LA Public Press, a nonprofit newsroom for Los Angeles. Eduardo Arenas made our music and Jaime Zacarias made our show art. Special thanks to the Robinson Space where we record this podcast. 
and to our audience director, Mariah Castañeda. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. Also, we're a newsroom funded entirely by donations. If you like the work that we do, you can support us by becoming a member at alleypublicpress.org slash donate. You can also support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or following us on social media. We're on all platforms at Alley Public Press. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right back here in a couple of weeks for our next episode. Yeah.